Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. So I'm finding that the older I get, the more I groan. When I bend over to pick something up off the floor, I groan. When I get up to take my dog for a walk, I groan. When I cut and split and stack firewood afterwards, I really groan. When I go to a picnic and see a beautiful bowl of crispy, salty potato chips on the table, and I eat a handful, and then the next day I jump on the scale, I groan. (laughs) Um, When I forget my hearing aids and wonder why I can't hear people out of my left ear, I groan. How about you? When I go to my amazing job at West Church, and after the highlight of a Sunday morning towards which my whole week has been geared, I go in on Monday, weary from Sunday, I groan. When I hear news of somebody suffering from illness or financial suffering or suffering in their family or suffering on their job, I groan. When someone we've known for years dies, we found out that Chris Lyons, one of the former pastors here, passed away just recently. We groan. I was hoping I would be able to meet him someday, but I will. When a young family leaves our church to go to a younger church, I groan. I groan when things are hard for me. I groan when things are painful for me. I groan when the plans get changed and it's inconvenient for me. I groan when I struggle to do the right thing and would rather do nothing. How about you? So here we are in our lovely series in Romans chapter 8, looking at Paul's letter that he wrote to the believers in Rome. And the theme of the chapter is, if God is for us, and it's not really a question, it's true. God is for us. But look at the spirit of verses 19 through 23, which we just read. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." 
it doesn't sound all that much like God is for us because it seems like there's so much groaning going on. Not only are we groaning, but the creation itself is groaning. When a family of ducklings crossing the highway doesn't all make it, creation groans. When my little dog limps after five minutes of running around outside down behind the house, creation groans. The rivers groan when we dam them up or industries drop toxic waste into them. Lakes and reservoirs groan when they run dry. The world groans when a tornado moves through, ripping everything up. The seashore groans when the water levels go up and hurricanes and typhoons tear through. The oceans groan when all the fish are caught up. The ground groans when we frack the earth and natural gas starts spreading underground, poisoning water supplies. The ground groans when we dig it up and replace it with a garbage dump. The trees groan when we cut them down in the name of progress. Creation groans when a species of living things becomes extinct. All the world is groaning ever since humanity sinned and God introduced futility, death, and brokenness into the world as a result of human sin in Genesis chapter 3. We groan and all creation groans. And we know this within us as we look out at our world and we see this. It's not how it's supposed to be. We know it in our being, that it's not how it's supposed to be. We didn't ask for this. It's just the way it is. And, and why doesn't God do something? Our God who made the world and the people in it rules and reigns over the world. We're told that He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows when we grow old and the number of our hairs fall from our head and becomes less. He knew the suffering of Israel when they groaned in slavery for Egypt for generations. He knew the suffering of Hagar, a slave girl, whose mistress mistreated her while she was carrying the son of her master. He knew the agony of Jeremiah the prophet, who stood knee-deep in mud at the bottom of an empty water cistern for preaching the word of God to a king who didn't want to hear it. He knew the cries of David, the king, when he wrote and sang the words of Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? God knew the cries of His only begotten Son, Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, the same words that David had sung centuries earlier, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus groaned, and then He died, and clearly God knows about the groaning. Clearly God allows us to groan. Clearly God hears our groans, and with all the groans of creation. Clearly God was with Jesus when He groaned, and is with us as well when we groan. In two weeks, when we come back to this passage, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is also groaning with us. The groaning doesn't fall outside of 
God's design for us. God is in the groaning, or He can be. Paul's point is that the groaning is part of God's design for us at this time. We can learn from the groaning. We can be changed by our groaning. Our groaning is part of the journey. It's taking us somewhere, and this is really, really important for us to see. We want the world to be different. We want to change the world. We want a better world for ourselves and for our children and for our communities. And good people do make a difference in the world, but not without a lot of groaning. And when we learn this, we actually become better for the world. Paul is explaining all about groaning in this passage, and here's what he wants us to see. Number one, when we groan, there is something God is doing. There is something God is doing. And when, secondly, when we groan, there is something God is teaching us. There is something that God is teaching us. Will you stay with me if we, as we consider these things? There's something God is doing, and there's something God is teaching us. The first thing we see that God is doing is redeeming. Look with me at verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. While creation groans, it waits And what it is waiting for is the revealing of the sons of God. God is reaching into the world each and every day, and He is touching people. And there are people who are groaning in life. He is reaching into the world, and He's saying, You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. You are my son. And you are my daughter. And it's happening in Peabody. It's happening on the North Shore, it's happening in the United States, it's happening in Bangladesh, it's happening in Turkey, it's happening in Saudi Arabia, it's happening in South America, it's happening in Africa. From every tribe and language and nation and tongue and continent throughout all the history of time, God is bringing redemption. And while the world groans, people are being saved. Verse 23 says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. He says, we who have the first fruits are groaning. And, and that idea of first fruits comes to us from the culture of Israel in the Hebrew Bible. There was actually a festival of first fruits in Israel. And ancient Israel was a farming agrarian society. So people would plant their crops in the spring. And then at, towards the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, just as things were beginning to come up, they would grab some of the first fruits, a couple heads of barley, a couple heads of wheat, a cluster of grapes, the firstborn of their animals, and they would gather together back in Jerusalem or wherever it was that the tabernacle or the temple was at the time, and they would celebrate and give thanks to God and praise Him for the first fruits that meant that the harvest was coming. And the first fruits of the Spirit are the people in the world upon which God 
is sending his spirit. Someone can be living in rebellion, sin, and destruction. They can be living a life of hurt to themselves and to others. And the Spirit of God can come into their life and turn them from all that and turn them towards Himself. And that's the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. God is reaping a harvest of redeemed people from within the world. People are turning to Jesus. They're finding that He forgives their sins and discovering a whole new life in Him. That is what God is doing. And very often, it's when people are groaning that they become open to even listening to what God is, has to say and hearing about His salvation. Because people without God often have lives that are so full of stuff and so full of activity that they can't hear His voice. But when they pause and groan and look up and see and listen, they can hear that God's working and see Him redeeming and hear His message of salvation and respond because, oh yes, there's got to be something more than this. The second thing that God is doing when we groan is He is moving towards glory. He's moving, He's making a movement towards glory in the world. Look with me at verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a glory coming for us that has yet to be revealed. We know about it, God speaks about it, the Bible tells us about it, we have images of it, we have stories about it, we believe in heaven, we believe in a new heavens and a new earth, we believe in a holy city coming down full of goodness and righteousness in which we are going to dwell. Verse 21 says this, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation itself is waiting for the glory to come. Creation will be remade and renewed in glory. And so we have images in the Scriptures of things like a lion lying down next to a lamb and a child playing next to a hole full of snakes and not being bit or the trees of the field clapping their hands. These are images of a new creation which will include the highlight of earthly creation being redeemed, God's children. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Some of you have knee replacements, some of you have hip replacements. Some of you have shoulder replacements. Some of you have had kidney transplants. But we're all going to receive a body replacement someday. Sickness and disease and aging and cancer will be eradicated. And we will dwell in bodies that we were meant to have all along. And the bodies we each crave as we groan. And all of creation is groaning towards the journey of glory. Each groan 
is a step closer to glory. Jesus states that no one knows the day or the hour, and our ultimate redemption is going to come unexpectedly to us as a thief in the night. And the tents of these flawed bodies will be shed for new, eternal, glorious bodies built for a new heavens and a new earth. And that is what God is doing while we groan. And while He is doing this, He's also teaching us something. So let's think about what God is teaching us. Quite a few years ago, there was a TV commercial, and it featured a great big giant juicy hamburger. Oh, you could just see the juices coming out of it. It was definitely medium rare or rare just the way I like it. And the bun was off to the side, and there was a ketchup bottle on top you know, of Heinz ketchup, and the music was playing, and as you're watching, the the ketchup is just slowly oozing out of that bottle, and the music is playing, anticipation, and here it comes, anticipation, it's making me wait, plop, (laughs) and your, your whole body would just, your mouth would water, and you were just waiting, for it to happen. And that's the first thing that God wants to teach us about groaning is that we need to wait. Verse 19 says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. With each storm, with each drought, with each tornado, with each extension, With each piece of trash cast to the ground, the creation's waiting. Verse 23 tells us that what we're waiting for, we're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. We discussed last week how God has adopted us as His sons and daughters into His family. Well, that includes a lot more than what we experience today, even though there's more to come, and there's more to come, and that's not all, and that's not all. Amazing as it is, adoption means even more is coming from God. Verse 25 says we also need to wait with patience. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm not a very good waiter. I don't know about you. My car wouldn't start the other day. We were somewhere else. And so I called AAA at 3 o'clock to come and help me out. And they told me that someone would be there before 6. And I said, did I mention that I parked on the street somewhere else? The problem with waiting is that it seems to interrupt what I want to do. I'm a very important person, you know. I have a lot of things going on. And waiting is a waste of my time. But God wants us to wait. I guess there must be a reason for it. I was in the waiting room waiting to see my ear doctor for my annual checkup. And while I was waiting, I took out my phone and I pulled up the church directory and I started praying for each of you by name. I learn to be a better person when I wait well. 
Waiting doesn't have to be a passive thing. When we wait, we can use the time to talk with God, talk to somebody else, listen to God, reflect on the condition of our heart. We can give thanks while we wait. We can pray for those we love. God likes it when we wait on Him. He enjoys it when we wait well. We can redeem our time with Him. Well, the second thing He wants us to learn is to hope. He wants us to learn to hope. Donna and I scheduled some vacation time in 2023. I love vacation. I love going away and doing fun things with her and with my family. And sometimes when things are going hard for me, I daydream about vacation. Hope is kind of like that. In verses 24 and 25, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for, the, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is how we wait well for something that we don't yet see. We expect something better. And as we groan, it reminds us that something better is coming. Paul says that we have yet to see what God has coming. A song I sang a couple years ago here at church was a song called, oh, I Can Only Imagine. And the songwriter imagines what it would be like to see Jesus face to face. And the you know, hope is glorified imagination. It's the ultimate vacation journey coming, the future that we've been waiting for. And every day that passes is a day closer to our redemption. And the groanings of our life teach us to hope. You know, the ultimate act of hopelessness is suicide. We lose hope when we no longer want to live. The Christian hopes for life beyond life and learns to cherish life even when we groan. It is okay to want a better life. We're made to hope. Well, the final thing I want to point out to you that God is teaching us is He's teaching us what really matters most. He's teaching us what really matters most. Look with me at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Ultimately, the goal of hope is that we will learn from God what really, really matters in life. Paul says there is life as we know it, and there is life to come. And this life is characterized by groaning and suffering, but in the grand scheme of things, Today's suffering doesn't begin to compare to tomorrow's glories. The glory of hope outweighs the sufferings of today. And sometimes we groan in life 
because we are too attached to the wrong things. I groan when I have to say no to a bag of potato chips. One of the problems that we face in life is that our priorities can get all mixed up. We sweat the small stuff. We get all wrapped up in our own little lives. We want what we want when we want it. We can't see beyond our own faces. Like my two-year-old granddaughter, we say, that's mine. But groaning teaches us to reconsider what really matters in life. Sometimes we want comfort while others suffer. We want ease while others labor. We want peace while others fight. We want plenty while others lack. And groaning teaches us more, that they want more than just comfort, ease, peace, and abundance. Groaning teaches us to love. It teaches us to sacrifice. It teaches us to care. It teaches us to hope. I had a groaning experience this week. On Friday evening, I came here to worship practice and I walked into the room. And as I walked forward, I looked down and I went, oh, what's that? Now, I knew that the change to the podium had been on, the money had been allocated back in 2021, and it was discussed again in, all through 2021, and then it was discussed again in 2022. But in my mind, I thought that if anything did happen here, it was going to be after some conversations following off after the difficult conversation we had at the annual meeting. And when I saw it, I groaned. It's like, ugh. Oh. Because I didn't think it was going to be here now like this. But as I think about what I've been studying all week long, The furniture at West Church doesn't even begin to compare with the glory of what God's doing in the world. The sanctuary at West Church is going to look like a hovel compared to heaven. If you've ever read the history of West Church, they have grown through building changes for 150 years. If you, it, it's so funny. If you read the history, there's these little quips in there, even from 100 years ago, about this person or that building, the building of the, the horse, horse and carriage barn, the tearing down of the horse and carriage barn, the building of this sanctuary, the building of Lions Hall, the tearing down of the white church, the putting in of a baptismal tank, the taking down of the choir loft, the people of God have been groaning with change ever since the beginning. And here's the thing about it. Jesus didn't give us a blueprint for a house of worship for Christians. He 
He didn't, tell us, he didn't give us a hymn book. He didn't give us a song book. He didn't give us a projector. He didn't give us ear, AirPods. He didn't give us any of those things. He had the Psalms. We don't sing very many of those here. He didn't give us the organ. He didn't give us the guitar. He didn't give us the drums. He didn't give us the piano. He left all those things vague so that we could figure them out. Does the shape of the platform that was designed for West Church in the 1960s matter more than how we use it in the 2020s? Does the style of worship that you prefer or that I prefer or a 20-year-old prefers or a teenager prefers matter more than reaching the discipling the next generation? Does keeping things the way they always were matter more than welcoming strangers and loving our enemies? Groaning teaches us to reorder our priorities. And the priorities are the priorities of Jesus who said, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what matters the most. And we have to learn to reorder our priorities when we groan. <laughs> we learn to love God the most because God loves us, and we learn to love what He loves, the people of the world. Loving people will make you groan more. And when we're groaning about the people we love, we cry out to God to help us, and He does. God is for us. When we are grown, God is teaching us. He's teaching us to wait. He's teaching us to hope. And He's teaching us what really matters and what really doesn't. The fact that we groan in this world is not a mistake. It's not. We learn and we begin to see what God is doing and we learn what God is teaching us. We've been working our way through Romans chapter 8, and we've seen that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've seen that God has given us His Spirit, and His Spirit keeps unfolding more and more and more of God's grace in our life, even when it comes to the hard things of dealing with our sin and the character that needs to be transformed. God is with us. God is for us. And today we discover that even in the groanings of life, in the suffering, like the suffering of Jesus, God is for us. God is for us in our groaning. He is doing something that without the eyes of faith, it is hard to imagine what He's doing. And He's teaching us things that we can only learn if we are willing to pause and to listen. 
And as we move towards the communion, the ultimate celebration, physical celebration of the unity of the body of Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus' body and blood in our behalf, I encourage each of you to place yourself in a listening position as we remember how much Jesus has done for us in his groaning. Because in the communion we see that God is for us.